What's up, podcast world? Uh, this is your boy, Lil Ticklish, a.k.a. Sam Baker. Um, this is episode one of hopefully an untold amount, just a ridiculous amount of podcasts. You know, we're going to be pumping them out left and right. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a lot of guests on. We'll have some uh, some interesting people. I know we'll have my boy, The Rooster, on every now and then with DJ Cobra Kai. Uh, know a few different interesting individuals, so hopefully we'll get into them in season one. Um, I just want to tell you a little about myself before before anything. And uh, this might be a multiple episode podcast in itself because I am not a boring person. I might tell a boring story, but that doesn't mean I'm a boring person. It just means I don't embellish as much as I could or should. Well, for starters, uh, I'm from Manchester, Iowa. Um, it's a very beautiful town in the eastern, Middle Eastern portion of Iowa. Uh, when I grew up, it didn't look beautiful. It looked, uh, looked dusty and the people were kind of crummy. Uh, and I got beat up a lot of them, being honest. <laughs> you know, one of those towns that it was just big enough that there was always somebody willing to punch you in the face. Uh, metaphorically and literally. Um, so growing up in Manchester, uh, it wasn't wasn't the town it is now. Uh, it didn't have the nearly the same charm. The people have all changed a little bit as well. Uh, I didn't get a girl in a beautiful, ritzy, high-class neighborhood, but I didn't grow up in the worst neighborhood around either. Um, truth be told, uh, maybe I see it differently because I think just about everybody in my neighborhood beat me up at least once. And uh, that's because everybody was a little bit older. They were all good buddies with my brother, who was two years older than me. And uh, when I was growing up, he was a bit of a, a sadistic person. He was uh, a great athlete, you know. Um, everybody loved him, super charismatic guy, super fun to be around. You know, he really knew how to light the party. He was quite the party. And uh, he'd say he never let that party die. Get out, Zeus. Go. Um, but uh, that's okay. It was it was an experience. And to be fair, uh, I had a I had a dad and a mom and a stepdad. And later on, I got a stepmom. But. Uh, for the most part, we grew up with our single mom who worked all the time and she wasn't quite as always pleasant to be around when uh, when she wasn't working. Um, so if I'm being honest, she slept a lot and she worked a lot. She worked hard. She was not like, she was an interesting person, that's for sure. Um, and there's something to be said about our mental health in this country because uh, so many factors, but one of those is just being overworked. Um, that is probably the epitome of 
my mom's afflictions, uh, I guess, among other things. Um, but it was, I grew up uh, with a little little Mexican grandma who uh, came over to the United States when she was 17. Um, she was my dad's mom. And uh, she was also, you know, a big cornerstone for our family. Uh, I would say there were three main powers and um, just about everybody loved, loved my brother. Uh, so growing up with this uber athlete who, you know, in a lot of ways got spoiled uh, and just loved on, uh, he thought he was untouchable. And so he used it to his advantage a little more than he needed to. Uh, he got humbled later on in life by, uh, by drugs, which is it's unfortunate for the Midwest. But our area of the world, of the Midwest, of Iowa, is uh, quite well known for, for the meth epidemic. And uh, that took my brother down a few pegs. But right now, uh, I guess we'll get into that later. Uh, hoping we can cover all these things a little bit more in depth. But when I, when I was younger, I had, uh, I had an older sister. Her name is Amanda. She was uh, pretty good stuff for the most part. Uh, she was kind of a troublemaker as well, a little bit. She, she got good grades. She was not a bad student. But um, as you know, when you have a lack of day school parental foundation uh people are gonna kind of abuse that when they can and my sister's no stranger to abusing the system she definitely snuck out when she could when she was 12 13 years old uh, she was never she wasn't always definitely not appropriate uh so you grow up and I was the younger brother to those two. Uh, and so growing up, seeing them bending the rules uh, is natural progression for myself to do the same. I got a little bit older and we moved out of that neighborhood and we moved to a, a little bit higher class neighborhood. And, um, you know, we were the odd duck family on that neighborhood. Uh, all their kids were great athletes and great students and not degenerates in any sort of way, shape, or form. And uh, I'd say your boy Little Ticklish over here is quite the degenerate. Uh, so that background story about me, uh, by the time I was, uh, you know, by the time I was 15, I was, I was drinking with my friends and, uh, I didn't start smoking cigarettes until I was around 17, but it's because I, I wanted to be an athlete. And I grew up around, around parents who smoked in the car and, you know, they weren't, they weren't nice about it. When you have parents who, I, and I'm sure a lot of other people grew up this way, you know, so I'm not trying to, you know, bash anybody or no qualms, but um, it is not the way, the way now. The way now is you don't, you know, you, that's that's child abuse now. So uh, 
you know you can't you can't force your kid to sit in a smoky car while you smoke cigarettes and you crack the window and tell them it's uh it's okay you're fine i uh i hated growing up smelling like cigarettes uh, i remember when i was when i was 15 i was i was a swimmer on the swim team and i had already established myself as one of the best swimmers but i knew my lungs weren't always quite what everybody else's were i just i tried hard when i knew i was good at something i i tried hard because i was not a naturally gifted person at a lot of things like my brother was or even my sister for that matter and uh you know i found out uh growing up that i had some learning disabilities i was, I was dyslexic uh a little bit slower at reading and writing. The comprehension was there, but and so uh, grown up like I did uh, is natural to be to be a bad student. It was natural to to fall into the things I did, and I never quite fell into it nearly as hard as some of the people around me or most of the people around me, which is is where I learned a lot of. A lot of my lessons from watching watching other people struggle. Probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do is uh, watch the people you care about struggling from something that uh, you can't help them with, but you could have very well saw yourself going down the same road. And I I couldn't believe it uh, that when you start making the right choices. One of those lessons I learned when you're when you're making the right choices, truly everybody around you wants you to succeed. Uh, moving a little bit forward, mm, I was, was definitely smoking pot around 16, 17 years of age, uh, and I was, I was drinking a lot with my friends in high school and partying almost every other weekend or every weekend. Uh, I considered it a real good time. I'm glad. I'm glad I made a lot of mistakes when I was young, when it couldn't have affected me, and I have somehow, some way, managed to scale the edge of something and nothing at the same time. I, I rode that fence. I never got in trouble, but I always could have. It was a very slippery slope, and I know I could have always fallen off the other side at any given point in time. Um, when you when you luck out like I did, you always you always believe there's something out there taking care of you and looking out for you. I always did as a kid believe that I was gonna be something special. I just never quite figured out quite figured out how. Now maybe, maybe, just maybe a therapist out there will tell you that's delusions of grandeur. And it is, but so it was, so was a lot of other things, you know what I mean? So it was believing all good people, good Christians. You know, we're not going to get into that. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of delusions of grandeur in the world. And uh, this is, you know, no different. Um, but I think, I think, I generally think I was just like hopelessly optimistic uh, and growing up the way I did as well, uh, it truly did shape me into uh, a realist, actually. Um, when I was in high school, uh, my best friend uh, 
So my best friend growing up since about we were five years old, uh, being in Boy Scouts together, his uh, name was Alex, Alex Padilla, James Alexander Padilla, actually. And uh, growing up, you know, he was truly what it felt like to me, uh, one of those only people out there who uh, would do things for me without expecting anything in return. He was by far the sweetest guy I had, I'd ever meet. And um, I remember when I was a kid, he told me, you know, that his parents didn't like me. And his, his dad was our scout leader. Uh, and it kind of broke my heart. And in the craziest, the craziest way, uh, things, things switched roles. As we got a little bit older, I mellowed out and I, I wanted to be like him and I wanted to be like his family. And I remember trying to help him do the dishes and his dad telling me, no, you, you got to let him do the dishes. Like, I couldn't help him with his chores, but I knew um, that he was always going to be there to help me no matter what. And one of those things, my senior year, we were doing a lot of skipping school. We were doing a lot of drinking. Um, and I remember that they started giving me detention in school so that he, you know, to punish me for skipping school. But they started telling me also that I needed to start coming to school. Otherwise, he for sure was not gonna pass. It was their way of manipulating us into coming to school, but still getting getting that, that punishment out, dealt out to one of us. So they preyed on my weakness of you know, knowing that I loved him as my best friend. And they, you know, and they knew that if, if I stopped coming to school, I could still pass. But believe it or not, uh, it wasn't it wasn't exactly true. Like there were there were classes that were necessities that I, I, I got help from him, like that he helped me do my homework and catch up and make up ground. He was, he was always there. And as I sat in detention, not realizing I was a dyslexic, uh, he, he would read to me. He wasn't in detention. He just came to detention because I was there. It's uh, truly, he was my best friend and uh, my hetero life mate. Had I, had I known that, you know, he was just, he was always there. Um, so after, shortly after we graduated, uh, we both applied to go to Hawkeye Community College in Waterloo, Iowa. And he, um, shortly after we graduated, uh, I blew out my knee real bad. Um, we both had taken the ASVAB, so we were gonna join the, uh, the, uh, National Guard um, but and he had done amazing he uh, he got like an 82 on his ASVAB he could have been most anything he ever wanted to be but he was dealing with some demons on his own and um, truth be told he uh, he killed himself so it was the first significant death I ever had in my life and it was the hardest 
It took me down for a couple years. There was a probably about two years that I don't care to remember or don't really remember. Um, but as as like I said before, those uh, those learning lessons uh, they always kept me moving forward. And um, his family has always continued to stay there and be there for me. Uh, a teacher of mine that uh, took me under her wing and uh, always kind of mentored those kids that were troubled. I uh, was was always there for me and um, even recently when I when I bought my house a few years ago uh, I didn't quite have the money for a down payment and it wasn't my family that was there to pick me up it was uh, my former teacher Miss uh, Miss Gaskill um, and it was my best friend's parents who helped uh, help give me to that 3% that I needed to be at so I could buy my house. Um, obviously, I paid them back. Uh, I I had a trailer that I fixed up after I knew I was going to have a baby around the age of 23 that I, I sold, but I didn't quite have the money for that down payment yet. So it took a while, but when I when I finally sold the trailer and I got somebody living there and I got the money, I obviously I paid them back but I just I can't thank those people enough for always being there for me my best friend's parents especially um anytime I need Papadia to be there uh he always is um and it's it's a weird thing knowing that I can't rely on my family nearly as well as I can rely on a former teacher that I haven't had in 14 years, uh, almost 15 year reunion coming up. Uh, and But I can rely on my best friend's parents and my former teacher to always be there for me and pick me up when I need them. Um, who would have thought that's how things in certain people's lives will go, but uh, it's good that they caught me. They taught me stability. They, they taught me that there are people, good people out there, willing to willing to fight for you, even when it's hard to fight for yourself. Uh, but bringing back to to shortly after high school, um, and actually before before high school, I was living in a studio apartment with four other guys, sleeping foot to face. Uh, when I was fifteen, I moved in with my dad. And uh, from the age 15 to 17, uh, from the age 15 to 16, it was just me and my dad. Uh, and then uh, a woman came along uh, who eventually became my stepmom. And I knew that her intentions weren't always noble or pure, but my dad always seemed to choose the, uh, the weak, <laughs> the, the worst one at the party so to speak um i knew this woman uh because i was friends with her nephew steven and i knew her intentions because we lived in a small town uh hopkin iowa just uh 
pretty cool, neat little place. But, um, you know, she got what she wanted. And uh, when I was 17, uh, she had taught me a lot of lessons. I thought, man, like she's not that bad. Like she has, she has a little bit of uh, some emotional outbursts, what seems like a little bit of uh, bipolar disorder. But um, I guess I was just tricking myself. I thought she taught me positive and negative reinforcement, which was amazing because I, I didn't get to grow up with positive reinforcement. So I can't thank her enough for that. But uh, later on in life, uh, when I was 17, working three jobs in the summer, trying to save up my senior year, uh, they put me out on the street. Um, uh, she told me I needed to uh, mow the lawn. And ironically, I told her, I said, I don't have time. I got to go to my next job. And, uh, you know, and she she was adamant about it. So I said, hey, if you want the lawn mowed, you can mow it yourself. Otherwise, I got to go to work, you know, and I'll mow it the next day. So that was my plan, and uh, I got a phone call at work that all my stuff was out on the front lawn, and when I was done with work, uh, I could come pick it up. So I moved in to the basement of my friend Megan's parents, uh, Frank. Um, Megan's dad was, was amazing, took me under his wing for a little while, and uh, I can't remember her mom's name at the moment, but um, the they were the Unertles, Frank and uh, man, blanking out on it. But uh, they were always there to pick me up as well, I, and I really appreciated that. But um, I, I eventually wore out my welcome there midway through my senior year and uh so as much as i appreciated them i knew it was my time to exit and, and i moved into a studio apartment with four other guys and we were sleeping foot to face uh, how we decided who got to sleep on the couch that night was uh whoever won the board game or whatever game they chose but there was always a challenge issued and that's how that's how you decided who slept on the couch that night. No, each one of these guys, they all came from families uh, not unlike mine. And, uh, you know, not sometimes the best upbringing. And uh, uh, disclaimer, a lot of tragedy. Um, but we were getting through it. Uh, so Ronnie popped in and out. Uh, my buddy Matt, he was the one who got the place originally. And then our, our buddy Cody uh, also came to stay with us and live with us. And uh, so the Golden Pony was the prize. Um, we had some ridiculous times. We had some crazy parties for a studio apartment. Um, obviously, uh, you know, we were... We were too young to be on our own, but we were, and uh, we made do. So 
when uh, when Padilla passed away, Ronnie really stepped up a lot, and uh, and then Ronnie went off and joined the military and went to boot camp, and uh, when he came back, him and him and Cody went out uh, shooting some guns, and uh, unfortunately, a bullet ricocheted off a tree and uh, went through Ronnie's heart, and Ronnie passed away. About a year, year, maybe two years after, yeah, two years after Padilla died, um, which is unfortunate, a year or two, and, uh, and he had, he had a bright future, you know, he was, he just got engaged, and he was in love, and he just got done with boot camp, what a great, what a great guy, um, also, Another one of those tragic, tragic moments uh, that happened. Um, so that was, I guess, part of that two years I didn't care to remember. Uh, I had, I had several people uh, in that two years pass away. To be honest, a few to suicide. Um, one to overdose, one to obviously accidental shooting, and uh, and not, not, none of them hit me nearly as hard as Padilla did. But but uh, Ronnie was always there. Ronnie was such a good dude, and maybe maybe I never got a got over that um, because I never even got to begin with it because it was so hard to get to get over my hetero life mate passing away at such a young age. Um, but I do, I do think there is something, something wrong with Manchester that, uh, the young men there pass so quickly and so early, uh, it blows me away sometimes to think about that. Um, so I guess to slow down the tempo a little bit, uh, moved to Mason City shortly after Padilla passed. Was there for about a year. Did not meet any good people. Uh, moved there with my my brother and uh, and Matt, my former roommate in that studio apartment, and my brother's best friend Brian, one of his best friends, Brian. Um, as uh, as it turns out. Uh, their their drug issues didn't get better. Um, our our house got robbed two or three times, and uh, the third time they even took the beds. So that's that was crazy. Met a girl, uh, moved back to Cedar Rapids, uh, lived with one of my best friends in an apartment there, and I was. You know, things were starting to get back to normal. Um, started taking classes again. Uh, wasn't quite over my situation. So eventually I came back to good old Manchester and, uh, you know, bounced around. Got a few apartments here, a few apartments there. In the end, uh, what happened was. Uh, my daughter's mom actually moved into an apartment next to me 
and we started seeing each other. Things were pretty good. We had our daughter. <coughs> um, you know, we went through some rocky times and uh, we eventually split up when she was one. But uh, on that day that I had my daughter, I found my reason for living again. I found my reason for being. I found my, my, I found my thing. You know, that delusions of grandeur we referred to earlier. I found it, but it wasn't. I found, I found my meaning. I found why I'm important. And that's because I have this beautiful, amazing little girl that I have to protect and take care of and teach right from wrong and do better, do better than my parents did for me. Um, they, they taught me some important lessons, um, but I, I feel like everybody's probably critical of their parents until they became parents. I'm more critical of my parents after I became a parent. Uh, that's not to say that I, that those, the lessons they taught me weren't in some ways amazing. My mom taught me perseverance. My mom taught me to try everything once. Um, she tried, you know. My dad taught me a lot of things too. My dad taught me how to how to work on cars. My dad taught me how to play chess. I, my dad, you know, educated me on some political and current events. Uh, when they were there, they weren't. They weren't bad. They had, they had some good moments. Um, so, back to my daughter. I, uh, my reason, my reason for doing everything that I gotta do, and hustling and grinding. Now, when I knew that Rebecca was pregnant. When I knew that Rebecca was pregnant, I went out and I bought a trailer. And I, I uh, started redoing that trailer and uh, took a couple years and I had to pay it off. And then uh, knowing full well that my daughter needed to grow up in a house and uh, she needed to grow up closer to more family that uh, you know, shows they care. I made the move to Marion. Uh, finally got the trailer sold. Um, you know, moved in down the street from my sister, which was, you know, pretty decent and uh, is good. She has a, a son my daughter's age. Um, now she went from one to six so quick, uh, you know, she needed to grow up in a house. And that's uh, right about where we are now. She's, she's eight years old now. And man, she's so beautiful, so smart. Um, there's so much more to add to it, but it's, it's hard to really pack it all into one story. Uh, so I hope that uh, 
he got to know me a little bit more. Um, there's obviously a whole lifetime full of significant events, but uh, I think this can wrap up episode one. Uh, here in the future, we're going to have uh, The Rooster on the podcast. Uh, so we all look forward to that. I look forward to that. Matt's a nut. Uh, that's my former roommate. Uh that we lived in that studio apartment in both Mason City. Uh, one of the funnest guys I've ever had the privilege of knowing. Uh, I actually hated him so much when I met him, I choked him out and put him to sleep. And I told him if he didn't show up, I was going to choke him out, and I did. Uh, and then, ironically, he became one of the people that I love the most in this world. And, man, what a weird, weird web we weave. But uh, I look forward to talking to you guys uh, here in the future.